HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network. HRN is food radio supported by you. Learn more at heritageradionetwork.org. This episode is brought to you by Roberta's, home of Heritage Radio Network for 10 years. Learn more about Roberta's at robertaspizza.com. So welcome to another edition of Item 13. Uh, this week in the guest chair, I'm excited to have Eddie Morgan, Edwina Morgan for <laughs> so people can find you online, but we're going to call you Eddie. I remember um, meeting Eddie in London. How many years ago now is it? Oh, I think it's been about four years ago. I mean, it's quite a while, isn't it? Well, it's been a long time, yeah. Uh, we met in London. Um, I don't even remember what the context was really, but I remember having to watch a lead for a long time and then being able to meet you. And so <laughs> we, we had lunch or dinner or something like that. It, it was, I think it was dinner. I had attended a conference and we met up and had, um, was it chi- was it Chinese? It was Pan-Asian, I think. <sighs> oh yeah, probably, because then we probably talked about fusion and all of that. Exactly. <laughs> today um great so for those that are not um familiar with watch a leaf watch a leaf is one of london's leading boutique afrofusion caterers um passionate about creating enjoyable and memorable experiences through food while setting new standards for quality and excellence they do mouth-watering canapes bowl food themed supper clubs and luxury banquets. Um, I, if you haven't been on their Instagram page, <laughs> I highly encourage you to go. Like it's just a visual feast for the eyes. Um, so excited to have you on the show today, Eddie. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here. <laughs> awesome. So I, I like to start with people sharing their stories. Like, what's your, you know? And for those that don't, may not know you as well. Um, if you could tell us a little bit about growing up in Ghana, if you did, and then your early memories of food or cooking experiences. Oh, brilliant. Um, God, where do I start? It's, it all seems so far away, but um, for me, I think I always start from the, from the food. And um, my, my grandmother really um, is my inspiration and has been for as long as I remember. And I associate uh, my food or my love for food with my grandmother because I lived with her um, to the very early years of my my life. I think I went to Ghana when I was about five 
and um, I stayed with my grandmother for quite some time whilst my mum stayed in England to work and um, I remember how gosh we spent most of our time in the kitchen she had this really small makeshift kitchen um, just in front of our house but she spent most of her time there because people loved what my grandma would cook so they would often sort of pop by and say hello knowing that she would have something for them but she had this very small the really interesting thing is that I remember is that she had this very small pot but somehow she could feed about 10 people um from whatever she cooked in that pot it was just really magical but I hadn't realized that by sitting with her literally I was by her feet I wouldn't go anywhere um, my grandma never left any place or went anywhere without me. Um, and I would sit right next to her in the kitchen, just watching her. I hadn't realized that I was absorbing everything she was saying or doing. And even now, like, I still catch myself doing little things that my grandma used to do. Mm. Um, oftentimes not realizing why I'm doing it. I'm just doing it because that's how I kind of remember her or that's how she used to do things. And I now go to my mom and ask, oh, do you know why? Um, Ma used to, I used to call my grandma Ma because obviously I had to, I was living mm-hmm. with her for quite, quite some time. And um, I'll ask her, so what do you know why Ma used to do this? And then she would then explain, sort of give me some context. So my I guess my early memories of Ghana really is is my grandmother and it's the time that I spent with her, um, just in and outside the kitchen. But it's um it's very interesting that when I whenever I think of Ghana, I always think of the food. I always think of my grandmother. Um, so I, when I was so I came to the UK, I came back. Well, I would often travel to the UK um, to visit my mom during the holidays. But when I came um, permanently to settle in the UK, I remember. I mean, I think I was about eleven or so. I would. Um, be the one cooking at home for my mum. She'd come home from work and I'd I'd be the one cooking. I'd come back from school and I'd cook. So from a very young age, mm-hmm. um, I was it was almost the expectation because I had been the one who was sitting with my grandma. So people knew that the food would be great. So they would often sort of um, the, the trend of visiting my mum, um, as people did in Ghana, um, for my grandmother became a thing when I came to the UK as well, because I would often cook and my mum would have her friends over and um, we'll all sort of sit there reminiscing about my grandmother's cooking and um, how some of the things that I did were quite similar to what she did. So the continuity was um, was actually quite nice. Yeah. So, yeah. Cool. So that's that's. I just, I can imagine, well, one, I relate to it because I also remember cooking for my family. I feel like this was class, <laughs> class six in Ghana, I would say. So I don't know what that was, uh, 12, 12, 13. Yeah. Um, yeah, so I also did start to cook pretty, um, I guess in, from a global terms, it sounds pretty early, but in Ghanaian terms, it's probably, <laughs> probably it's pretty typical. Yes. Um, so... I'm sure a lot of people don't know this, but you're trained um, as a lawyer, right? As yes. a lawyer. So how did <laughs> yes. you go from, yes. um, from I, I'm sorry, go ahead, Shane. No, I was, I was just going to say, um, I think people often sort of uh, are surprised when I, when I told them that I trained as a lawyer, but um, I think maybe you might, this it might be a similar experience, but growing up, you always sort of have that, one um, job that everyone sort of thinks that you are, I mean, it's you. Mm-hmm. I remember when I was about, I don't know, maybe I was quite young. Um, I had an uncle, a group of 
of us were sort of like kids, we're sitting, I remember this quite well, we're sitting in front of my grandma's house and an uncle came in and was like, oh, so what do you guys want to be when you grow up? And everyone was sort of saying different things. You say, um, oh, I'll, I'll be a policeman, I'll be this, I'll be that. And then it came to, when it got to me, he said, oh, I know you're going to be a lawyer because you've always been a pocket lawyer. And for some reason, that just stuck with me. Mm-hmm. I felt like it was just really interesting. I felt like everything that I did um, from that time was to fulfill that expectation. So, um, and, I mean, it goes through the power of words, right? Like yeah. he said that and everyone kind of assumed that that's it. That's all I want to be. So from that time, every, every time someone asked me what I wanted to be, I always said I'd be a lawyer. So um, when I, I finished school and I had to go to university, I, I did a law degree. And then after that, it just felt like a natural progression mm-hmm. without even thinking of all the other things that I loved to do that I would want to explore. Um, I felt kind of almost like it had the path had been laid out for me to be mm-hmm. a lawyer. So then I went into that and then I actually became a lawyer and then actually realized that I, I loved to cook as well. Um, so then I slowly... Um, built out a hobby which turned out into a really really fun um, job for me. <laughs> yeah so so let's talk about that. So Watch Your Leaf I know started in 2008 which what is that almost 15 years ago? Oh know. yes. I'm doing yes. that correctly. So what was the inspiration for you to start it? And like can you share details of how you started right? So you just shared that you know you went yeah. to school for law and then you started cooking as a hobby on the side. How did you go from, okay, I'm doing this as a hobby to now I'm actually getting paid to do it as um, a business? Oh, wow. Gosh, um, it seems like really <laughs> a long time ago. So I, cousin, I have a cousin, um, Ekwa, who, gosh, she's really lovely. Like We used to spend, this was when I was... Um, I think I finished university. We used to spend a lot of time together, but we'd spend most of our time sort of cooking and doing different things. And um, I remember at some point we just we thought, oh, we need to do something with our cooking. We had different interests. So we 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 loved to cook and we loved to do hair. At one point we were gonna we we're gonna own a beauty shop, and then we we're like, that's really good at cooking, <laughs> and. Um, someone a, a guy that I was dating around that time um basically just said you guys really love to cook you should do something with this um it's not even a joke because everyone who tasted um our food just thought it was really great and he said we should do something with it so we lived uh in a place called Crouch End in London at that time and there was a, a farmer's market that runs every Sunday so my cousin and I decided to um, start obviously selling our food at the farmer's market just to see how it would, it would yeah. fare and um, before we did that I mean we, we kind of just thought about names and things then also we thought about the space there wasn't really anyone else doing what we had we had in mind um, we there weren't, there weren't many Ghanaian or African kind of um, food stalls around at that time in London um, that we knew of. We actually only knew one, I think it was Jollof Pot, Pot around oh, that time. Yeah, that sounds familiar. Yeah, yeah it was, and, and I just thought, oh, that was really cool. I remember when they, they, had, a, they had a store at Exmark Market, and I just thought this is so great for Ghanaian food, and you'd often go in, there's like a really long queue and all of that. 
And um, I just thought, this is just wonderful. Um, Ghanaian food is selling. People actually enjoy it. People from, people, from colleagues that I went to the store with um, thought it, it was amazing. And um, Eko and I knew that we could cook. And we thought, okay, there's nothing like that at um, Alexander Palace Farmers Market. So we should probably try that. So we um, came up with a name and it was just, it was almost a it, was, it started out as a joke. We just started, we came up with all sorts of names and we just, oh, how about Wachini? Because we, we love Wachini. We're just obsessed with this. So like, why, why don't we just say Wachini? One, um, we had friends who would often sort of say Wachini, which made which sounded quite funny. Mm-hmm. And um, people who recognized the new, what it was. And it just seemed like the right name for what we're trying to do at that time. Um, so we, we, we went to the farmer's market and found out that every time we went there on a Sunday, our food sold out even before the farm, the farmer's market closed. Oh, wow. um, so we'd often get there, it would open around, I think the market was open around 11, and by one o'clock our food would be sold out, and we made a lot. Um, what, what were you making at this time? Uh, we're making um, things that like we're making jollof rice, we're frying plantain, but there's there's something magical about plantain, right? It's just <laughs> the smell. <Yeah. laughs> the smell of plantain, oh my God, it's just, um, I will advise anyone who has a food store <laughs> fry your plantain on site but that was the draw it didn't matter who these people were everyone was interested and was intrigued about this really lovely caramelized um not of the pieces of banana but then yeah had- <laughs> um but it was a really good draw and jollof was was a hit we, we made stews and black eyed beans stew. it was just amazing and there would often be like really long queues so but then it, it got Busier. So from the store, we kept having people um, asking, oh, would you do our event for us? Would you do this? Would you do that? And we all had sort of our day jobs. We had other things to do as well. So it kind of made sense for us to rein it in a little bit. And at which point, I think my cousin had also had other things that she was doing at that time. So she decided not to um, carry on with the store. But then I thought, gosh, we've got something good going here. Yeah. Um, I had just sort of around that time I just finished um, training. I was about to qualify and I was thinking, this would probably be a good time to stop and focus on, um, on, on my career. But I loved the energy. I loved the, the instant gratification that you get from feeding people, from mm-hmm. sharing good food with people. You see from their faces instantly that either they enjoyed it or not. And it kind of just, I don't know, it opens people up. And yeah. I, I felt that connection. And it's something that I, I don't always get in my day job. So I thought, I'm going to keep this. I'm going to keep this little um, slice of wonderful life um, and, and try and keep it alongside everything else that I was doing. So I didn't quit Watch a Leaf. I just thought, okay, I'll try and manage my time um, as a new lawyer around it. And um, and that's how we started. So from then, I kind of just took, over, took charge of my calendar. I just thought, okay, I will do events around my holidays and mm-hmm. um, I'll stop the farmers markets and then try and be a bit more selective and more creative with what um, I was putting out there. That's, that's incredible. Wow. And so it's interesting that sorry. I don't know why it's, I'm sorry, go ahead. Were you going to say something else? When I was coughing, I've got a bit of a cough. Oh, <laughs> yeah, no problem. That's fine. Um, I was going to say that it didn't even occur to me. And I think it's, it's interesting because people, you know how they say that uh, success overnight is a 10 year journey or something like that. <laughs> so for me, what I see, you know, on social and like all of the reviews that people share about, um, your food 
it's I've always thought that it was always Afrofusion, right? But you know, you saying that you started out just with jollof and, and frying plantains on site at farmers markets. I'm curious how you landed on this idea of 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 Afrofusion and, and oh. how you define it for yourself. Um, because it, it could go, you know, all sorts of different ways. But how did you land on the idea of like, let's take this a little bit further, let's let me push myself a little bit further in terms of creativity and then just including other cultures in, in this food that I'm making. Right, right. Um, right. It's, it's a really good question. Um, and now it's something I often sort of think about myself. But when we um, decided not to do the farmer's market again, um, we kind of just, we, I think at that point we had realized that it wasn't just Ghanaians eating the food. We had people from yeah. different parts of the world. But the interesting thing was they were they were all trying to make connections with the food. So they would often sort of come, oh my God, this reminds me of something that I have um, back home or something that I've tasted before. Oh, you, you've got beans, but this reminds me of something else. So people often like to make connections with what they already know, especially when they are encountering something that's very new. Um, so if it's a cuisine they don't know, they'd often sort of um, try and understand the cuisine based on what their existing taste profile is. And I realized that very quickly that if we were to sort of get people to enjoy, more people to enjoy our food, then we have to present it in a way that um, almost sort of try to break the bridges between the different um, dishes, cuisines. And for me, that's what Afrofusion means, right? You kind of just bring in lots of um, different elements and different cuisines or inspirations to reinterpret something that is intrinsically sort of very African. So I draw a lot of my inspiration from my grandmother's cooking and from her recipes, but it doesn't stop there. I feel like food has to evolve. And for it to evolve, it means a lot of people need to sort of almost buy into it. But if you, um, there are certain things that I just feel or certain ingredients that I feel um, especially Ghanaian ingredients that need to evolve as well. We currently have a, a certain way of preparing them, yeah. but they're also, these ingredients are also present in other parts of the world. So it's like bridging that gap and then making sure that all, the ingredients are celebrated for what it is. So you'd have different variations of it. But uh, my thing is that you can't just, okay, you can't just add, um, I always sort of say this to my friends, you can't just add sweet, um spice to something and then just something that is not very um, Ghanaian or African and just say that's Afrofusion. I think there has to be a philosophy, um, kind of or some sort of thinking behind it as to why you're doing that. Um, and the way I approach it is that when I create something that is not um, very, it doesn't look very Ghanaian or very sort of African, at least one element of it has to be authentic or has to connect someone who's African to Africa. So for me, it's the taste. So I would present something and would look, maybe I'll make something like a, a rice, a jollof rice bowl, right? When you see the bowl itself, obviously it's encased in um, panko breadcrumbs, which is not very um, Ghanaian. But when you bite into it, the first bite should remind you of what jollof tastes like. It should transport you to somewhere. So I feel like with that little morsel, you kind of, you're breaking down different cultures. You're bringing different cultures, different cooking techniques, but you still remain true to the, the core of what you're trying to do, which is African food or African cuisine. So it should, whatever you create and call Afrofusion, in my mm -hmm. opinion, should 
connect back to the Afro, if you know what I mean. Yeah. Um, it's, it's, it should be that <laughs> Let's connection. Make sure that we Afro. In, in, yeah, in, there should be, there should be in, that. Yeah, and um, I have so many sort of aspects of my, my experiences that I feel um, we're not. Why I'm not one one dimensional. I have um, different roots and different experiences. I've traveled different parts of the world, so I bring that to my food, and that also adds to the Afrofusion. But I also always sort of think of new ways to um, to bring to bring to life what I've learned from um, from my grandmother and from her recipes. Just put a little bit spin of uh, a spin, a bit of a spin on on it, but then remain um, true to the taste and to the experience that you kind of yeah. have. That's interesting because I see you um, talk about <laughs> no problem. I see you talk about um, the idea of sankofa quite a bit, and for those that are listening that may not be as familiar. Um, Sankofa is a Ghanaian concept, although some people may say African, but I know it from a Ghanaian context, um, which translates to um, essentially going back and picking up, you know, what you what you left behind, right? So, um, and in our traditional, I don't know how you even describe it, like it, you, you'll see it in Ajinkwa symbols, um, where yeah. I'm trying to describe this for people who are listening. Um, it's like a bird. Uh, if I remember correctly, the bird is looking back. Yeah. Its feet are sort of facing forward, right? So like you're, yeah. it's working forward with, you know, looking backwards. Anyway, this idea is, you know, as you're moving forward, it's important to also, you know, look back and pick up what you left exactly. behind. Um, exactly. And so I'm curious how, and thinking about Sankofa, how you, and friends, please, Google is your friend. I mean, I have described it <laughs> accurately, but go look up what Sankofa is and what it means in the in the Ghanaian context. Um, but I want to understand from you, Eddie, like how you connect this idea of Sankofa, and you've touched on it a little bit with yeah. um, bringing the idea of Sankofa to this idea of Afrofusion, right? And linking yes, it back yes. to our, tradi- you know, our traditions. Yeah, yeah. Um, right, so for me, I, I, it's a... It's a a philosophy that's sort of at, at, at the very core of what I do. And I I chose that really because it reminds me of conversations that I had with my um grandmother when 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 I left Ghana and every time I sort of speak to her, she would often sort of say things like, oh, um she would say things like, oh, yeah, kaifie, like as in just remember home, like you're moving on, you're moving so fast, you're doing all these wonderful things, but like remember home. And um, that has stayed with me a lot. And it's translated in my style of cooking. I always have to have something in what I cook that reminds me of home, that will remind the person that's experiencing um, my food of home. So even though I'm sort of thinking, oh, it's so lovely to have all of these different techniques that I've absorbed from um, the different places that I've been to or um, even cookery shows that I've watched or peers that I've admired, um, I always have to link it back to home because um, that, because how do I move forward if I really don't know what's um, yeah. where my roots are? And it's just hearing my grandmother's voice every time I make something, I create something. I just think, so what's the point of it? And I feel like, as a as a as a chef or even a cook, when you're you're making something um, for someone else to enjoy, I feel like there has to be a point to it. And I think I made that point earlier that I don't just cook for the sake of it. I, there has to be a point to what I'm doing. And for me, the point is showcasing African cuisine um, and bridging culinary sort of um, gaps 
uh, between different ingredients from sort of different parts of the world, but also just remaining true to the roots as well. And um, it's quite difficult to do sometimes, especially when you're trying to just be out there with your menu, but then also <laughs> wanting to rein it, rein it in and then make sure that when someone experiences, they are transported to a place that they remember in Ghana. And if they haven't been to Ghana, at least something that would kind of almost hook them to want to go to Ghana or to go to the, the part of Africa from which that ingredient or that um, dish is, is, is inspired by. So that's my, I mean, that's how I approach my cooking. Yeah. And my style of, um, I guess, my, yeah, my style of cooking is always having a hook. Um, or an anchor back home um, yeah. for my roots. So I can go as far as I, I, I want, but I, I make sure that I'm securely sort of um, rooted mm -hmm. um, in obviously my grandmother's kitchen, yeah. but exploring um, as well. That's, yeah, that's that. I understand that. that that's perfectly clear. Um, so I thought a fun thing to do um, <laughs> would be. <laughs> I thought a fun thing to do would be to go. I went on your um, IG page uh, for those oh. listening at it's at Wache Leaf on Instagram <laughs> and just picked a few like interesting things that I saw and want to talk to like your inspiration for creating those particular recipes. Oh gosh. <laughs> I mean, and you can say as much as later. We don't, I have, let, let me see which ones I pick. One, two, three, four, five. So there's five of them. So you don't have to go into like a big story, but I'm just really cute. I picked ones that were, they're pretty recent. I wouldn't say they're all recent, but just really stood out to me as examples of things that you've done that are um, pretty out there. Oh, gosh. <laughs> and and I'll was, I was start from sort of low-hanging food and we'll work our okay. way. <laughs> we'll work our way up. So the first one is um, a wache and pulled beef brisket taquitos. So oh, talk about that. Oh, that. <laughs> Oh, that one. So another thing about me is, um, I'm not going to go into a long story, but I just I have to get, put some context in this. So I don't have set menus. Um, I don't do it because I just feel, for me, it's about storytelling, right? So whenever someone approaches me, it's like, oh, I want you to help me with my event. Or I always say, what's the story? What are you trying to tell? Like, what are you trying to say? And it would often sort of, we'll, we'll have a chat and, and sometimes we'd be like, oh God, my partner or my friends and I have this in joke, this, we love this. Or we, we, we had an experience, oh, a very interesting one. We had, um, had a client who um, got married in a really posh place. Um, they had a really lovely food. And then after uh, the event, they just realized they were still very hungry. Um, they had all this very lovely European five-star food. And somehow they managed to find, a, they were in another country, they found um, somewhere that sold Ghanaian food and have them bring it to the really posh um, restaurant. <laughs> and that's their little secret. They, they, both of them, I mean, I guess the, as a couple, they know that that evening they ate tilapia and banku after they had eaten <laughs> all the really stuff um, at their very posh wedding. So when I spoke to them, when I spoke to them, they were like, oh God, this is our, an angel. We want to bring in, something we want to bring in an element of that in the menu so then we created a menu but there was a, a bit a little bit where um there was something in the menu that only them knew about and found it funny um, and obviously they ended up telling their friends about it but sort of bringing those experiences so the, the menus are unique and with this um taquitos thing the, the client 
loves um, Mexican food. Mm. And, but then they also wanted to bring in an element of um, Ghanaian cuisine. So I was like, say no more. We'll think of something else. Like, <laughs> and I was like, yes, I'm sure we can we can make um, make something out of your favorite wache. And then also, and she was like, oh, okay, turn it into a kind of paste. So that was like a really nice challenge. So I thought I'll bring together those two sort of things that she um, and her husband sort of would enjoy. And I think the guests... Um, I think it was a little bit divided, but they did it. The flavors were there. The thing yeah. is, once it's there, it's like it's watching. So you're like, okay, okay, okay I, I see what you're doing. Yeah. It's just All right. Okay. Yeah. Great. Okay. So the next one I have for you is um, Milo ice cream. This is interesting. Milo ice cream with whipped evaporated milk. Oh, yes. And cabin biscuits. I think this is interesting because I think it pulls together a lot of our sort of British yes. section too, if you will, right? Yes. <laughs> it reminds me of breakfast yes. with like a little bit of, you know, the British influence in terms of like the milk and tea and then. Yes. So tell me, tell me how your mind works to, to be this. Oh my gosh, that's actually my favorite. That was my favorite thing because it's my childhood favorite. And again, it's something my grandmother used to make for me. I don't know if you remember cabin biscuits. Yeah. Yes. My that was my my grandma's treat for me when I was good. I would have she'd make Milo, but then she'd use evaporated with lots of it. It was so rich, mm. and I would have it with cabin biscuits. I just remember I'm literally transported to her <laughs> door. Like she had this. There was this door that she often sort of sat in front and me just sitting next to her, just enjoying my big cup of milk, <laughs> which, is, which was so thick, very thick. I don't know why, I'm yeah, sure. that's fun. Oh, that's a fun memory. I like that. It's a, it's a fun memory. So um, I was inspired because I, oh my God, wouldn't this be amazing to serve at one of, we did a Mother's Day um, event um, and I, the menu was actually an ode again to my grandmother. I'm going to say this at nauseum. I just love that one. <laughs> um, the menu was an ode to her and just things that she used to do. And if you read through the menu, you sort of see different, you see the, read through the story, you see the menu within the story. Mm-hmm. And we finished it with that particular dessert because it just reminds me so much of her and just how much I would always be rewarded um for being a good little girl with my tea and my cup and biscuit and just my yeah. little seat next to her so that was that's, that was the inspiration um yeah that's so cool and then the next one that I like let me I'm trying to think of yeah this this I think this this is you you tell me I was I was kind of curious where this came from so the next one that I saw that was interesting to me were were um Crispy rice squares that were topped yeah. with corn beef stew, corn beef stew and shit. <laughs> oh, yes, yes, yes. That's also another favorite. I'm obsessed with Japanese food. Like, I'm inspired with Japanese food. Mm. Um, I'm, well, I'm just inspired by, um, I'm inspired by Japanese food. And I love, I love it. I love to eat it. And I just sort of, it was something, well, this was something that I did at home because I had leftover rice. And I just thought, wouldn't it be amazing to turn this into a kind of place? And it was a hit at home. Like, it was just really nice, uh, a good way to use my leftover rice. And it ended up on a client's menu as well um, as their canapé. But it was inspired by something I saw. Um, I'm a big fan of anime. I think I saw it in an anime. Someone had made something like that. And I was like, oh, my God, this would be so amazing. <laughs> cool. Yeah. Okay. So, yeah, 
Cool. Yeah. And then staying in the Asian theme here, um, I also saw um, a steamed stuffed sweet plantain bun. So, and I thought that lot looked so good. <laughs> yeah, that tasted really good. Um, I had a client who uh, didn't want us to fry anything. I do. Oh, but I, I love I love my I love the sort of clients that I get and I love the challenge. Um, and I also love that I have the opportunity um, to pick and choose the sort of events that I I want to do. Like usually the ones that are quite hard that come and they're like, oh, my God, I, I just want the whole gluten free. I don't want anything fried. I want I love those sort of clients. So we had a client that didn't want anything fried, nothing with um, oil or anything in there. But then they loved plantain. They love red, red. So what do we do? So I just thought, why don't we do this? This would be amazing. Very little oil. We, I, I think they could have coconut oil. So that was kind of like the base mm. um, for my stewed, the stewed um, red, red that went inside there. Oh, so that was, that's what was the stuffing, red, red, essentially. That was the stuffing. It was, it was essentially red, red, but with, with um, yeah, it was essentially red, red with um, coconut um, oil and coconut milk um, in there. Oh, my gosh. It was, it was quite decadent, like, and, and nice. All right. And then the last one here before we take a short break. Um, This was interesting. So it was your take on like Eva and palm nut soup or stew or sauce or soup, (laughs) which part of that. So I'm going to just try to describe it and then I'll share a picture on, on Instagram when this comes out so people can also visually see this. So imagine, um, like a bowl, actually, I don't know if it was a regular bowl or if it was in one of our, anyway, let's say, imagine a bowl that has, that is covered, right? And on top of it, the, the, the cover of this bowl is, I'm using your words now, now, Eddie, a crispy yellow eva or Gary, or Gary crisp, as you called it, oh, garden, garden egg puree. And then underneath it, you have smoked king prawn and a benquine or like yes. palm, 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 nut, palm fruit sauce with bronze fennel and a truffle yeah. caviar. Talk to me about this. Oh, yes. Um, oh, gosh. That dish, it was, it was really wonderful. I loved, I loved making it. And um, so my thing is I, I'm just really playful with food and I, I just feel like food as I evolve in my journey as a as a cook, as a chef, I, I, I tend to sort of want to play want to play, be a bit more playful with the food that I make to create experiences. And I just thought, wouldn't it be just a lovely experience if you have to break into your like literally just break into your food? There's a pattern there. I think before that particular dish, there was something else that you had to break. I think I made something with isomalt where it was also another. Um, ice cream that you had to break. I just went to a phase where I just thought you have to really <laughs> to get into your food. But um, I, I, I just I was just inspired by the fact that these were very traditional ingredients, and it was a very interesting and fun way to present them in to present them, just making them more enjoyable experience. The flavors were there, which was um, the big deal for me to make sure that whatever I did to with that dish, the flavors had to be there. If you broke the um, Eba crisp and sort of 
dipped it into that bank coin, which is the palm, um, the, oh, the, the palm fruit sauce. It will still taste this. It tastes like you're eating ebba and, yeah. and and palm fruit. It's just that the experience of the experience around it is just a bit different um, than you know. But the flavors are all there, and that was my challenge. And I feel like, with especially feedback from people that tried it. Um, I kind of got that right. It was just that it was just really playful, and I must have been going through a phase where I just wanted to bring things. <laughs> so, oh so man, funny. yeah, I saw that, and I was just like, man, <laughs> like it is mind. I don't know how it works. It's just <laughs> mind blowing to me. All right, I think this is like this is this is a good time to take a break, and then when we come <laughs> back, I want us to talk about just what it's like to run a business, a catering business in particular that's based on this Afrofusion concept. Yeah. And then we'll talk a little bit about, you know, what you're planning to do next, the current services that you offer, and then we'll wrap up. So um, you're yeah. listening to item 13 and we will be right back. This episode is brought to you by Roberta's, home of Heritage Radio Network for 10 years. Roberta's was founded in Bushwick in 2008 and has become one of the most iconic restaurants in the country. HRN made its home inside of Roberta's in 2009, and together they have become part of the DIY fabric of the neighborhood. Roberta's, the pizza restaurant, is open for lunch and dinner seven days a week and serves much more than just the famous wood-fired pizzas. Their team dreams up new salads, pastas, and sandwiches on the regular. Roberta's Tiki Bar is alive and well in the back garden, serving up frozen drinks in the summer and hot toddies in the winter. Stop by the bakery and takeout spot next door for fresh breads, sticky buns, and pizzas to go. And of course, there's the two Michelin-starred Blanca tucked away in the garden for truly daring diners. But Roberta's also extends beyond Bushwick, with multiple locations in New York City and now in Los Angeles. You can also find their frozen pies in grocery stores around the country. The spirit of Roberta's, like Heritage Radio Network, is everywhere. Here's to many more years of pizza-powered radio. Learn more about Roberta's at robertaspizza.com. Welcome back. I now wanted to touch on like what it's like to run a catering business. Um, Because, and maybe actually before we do that, let's talk about your business model first. So in terms of the services that you offer, you today, you do immersive supper club experiences. So like you talked about, you do your Mother's Day experiences. I know you do something for Valentine's Day. I've seen um, Love Brood in an African Pot, I think it's what it's called. Um, <laughs> your um, watch your weekend situation. So um, actually, I wanted to talk a little bit about those experiences first. So how do you as a lawyer, newly minted cook, get <laughs> creating these dining experiences, right? So it's a different, it's also creative, but it's a different thing, right? To cook in the kitchen, but then to also come out of that and create an experience from end to end for for guests, right? And it is for seated or what have you. And so how do you think about these supper club experiences? Um, And outside of the ones I mentioned, if there's additional ones that you want to share with folks, that's fine. But like, how do you go about thinking about the experience that you want to create? Because I feel like from what I've seen, those also... And maybe that's where you also have some of your sample because I every time yeah. I see menus of those or like the concepts, they really take me back to like growing up as a child. Yeah. <laughs> um, 
Do you want to talk a little bit about those experiences? Yeah, um, I, I think my favorite thing about what I do is actually the immersive dining experiences. It's just sort of um, because it allows me to be really creative um, and playful, as, as playful as I want, because you have control over um, over the menu. You're essentially sort of asking people to come in. It's all, it's like a, a chef's table experience. You, you control the menu, you control mm-hmm. the narrative, and also allows you, gives you the space to tell a story. And I love telling stories through food. I, I, I It's just one of the things I love to do. I love to write a menu like with a concept in mind and then kind of make sure that everything that I do um, kind of matches up with the concept mm-hmm. so from the menu from the decor and um from time to time obviously i'll work with people there's, there's a, a colleague of mine that i, I work with uh, a question from creative details we kind of just met of the women and, and, and women just realized that we um we, we we got it in terms of the sort of stories that we wanted to tell so she's like really um good with Making the concepts, the really out there concepts that I have come to <laughs> Yeah. I do have some very clever concepts. We're, we're developing um, an experience for Black History Month and it's just really out there to the point where I'm just thinking, do I just put this out or just <laughs> go to next year? But it's it's about being playful. It's about really giving people an experience. They walk into whatever space that we, we create and they I, I want them to feel fully immersed in the mm-hmm. in the concept. So, for example, like the Love Bridge in African Poets. It, I mean, it's a it's a movie from back in the day. I know my grandma used to watch it quite a lot. Um, it was that, and I told you so. But I liked the story. It's actually not. <laughs> it, it ends a bit sadly, but most of it is quite nice. It just sort of talks about. Um, and it's a love story in, mm-hmm. in Cape Coast by the coast. And it was really nice developing a menu around that around the story. And for our events, we tend to have things like um videos of, of that movie showing around like oh, sort of, yeah. yeah. So for the what the live one that we did actually before COVID, um we had we had our, an art gallery that had the movie showing in the background and every there are points in the menu when you're enjoying the food that references bits of the of the movie. Um, so like when you walk in, uh, so there was this shot that we had, which was, I think, um, an appetite and it was an appetite, uh, I forgot what it was that we had, appetite and sort of lime drink that we made, um, which was actually inspired from it. Um, <laughs> A, a piece in the movie where the guy, the guy who's obviously interested in this girl goes into a family to 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 bring some something and it's a alcohol and the, the 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 guy the girl's parents just said oh I thought he'd bring something respectable not a <laughs> so, yeah and for, and for those that are listening I may not be familiar Apetit is a Ghanaian local local spirit yeah but I thought it was really funny um, so we kind of did a play on that we served that we served uh, little mm-hmm. shots of Apetit with the, as a, as a granita, um, so it was, it was quite it was, it's quite nice. It's just that the creating those experiences that get people to laugh and to talk and to feel really part of a story that I'm trying to tell or a story that's mm-hmm. out there. Um, and when we couldn't do it in person because of COVID, we did grazing boxes that actually had a link to the video on YouTube for people to watch, and oh, wow. um, and and the menu was also. 
for, that's why I, I love doing these immersive dining experiences because it allows me to be creative, allows me to really tell a story or something, perhaps something in my mind that I really want to convey. Like this Black History Month thing that I'm, we're thinking about, um, which is drawing very close now. Um, it's something that I want to, it's a story that's in my heart that I want to tell and I've got a menu and everything that's around it, but it's like, are people ready to receive it? That sort of thing. So it's just yeah. um, those sorts of experiences that are thought provoking and also quite fun and playful that hopefully when people attend, uh, they kind of feel like something's changed or they're inspired to, mm -hmm. to, to do something about. So, yeah. yeah, well, well, I hope you do it. <laughs> I hope you put it out there for those <laughs> in the US listening uh, and the UK Black History Month is in no, October. October. Yeah, um, that's great. So then on the flip side is your catering service, which I think is interesting because then you are not allowed as much, I feel, to dictate sort of how you'd like to go. And so you're working in collaboration with your clients. Right? How? Tell me more about that, that experience and like how... Yeah clients to develop a menu that stays true to what you're trying to do but then also serves their needs yeah so um I, I think I alluded to this earlier when I said I do actually have um I'm lucky enough to sort of have a situation where I will be in a situation where I can I, I pick and I'm able to pick and choose the sort of events that I, I want to be fully involved in and by fully involved it means working with uh, my clients to to come up with a menu that is uniquely theirs again so they're they're being guided by me to tell their story so i don't have a lot of control into sort of creating a, a menu that's totally out there but it's their story in many forms so i'll have clients who are just like actually i just want to keep it very traditional but i want to keep it traditional in such a way that um i can still have canapes but maybe in a smaller portion or served in another way. Or I can have clients where um, most of my clients actually fusion, where they have uh, are marrying into different cultures. So they want to bring elements of other cultures in, to kind of merge with Ghanaian cuisine. So it's quite interesting um, seeing people tell their stories through food, food and not necessarily sort of giving them a, a set menu and just saying, okay, to choose from this. It's more why don't we work together to come up with something that is uniquely yours so that after your wedding, you can actually keep your menu yeah. as yours because it's it's not like what um, someone another client of mine is going to have. It's going to be totally different. Um, we did a Malaysian and Ghanaian wedding, which was amazing. Just finding the congruence between the cuisines and actually presenting something that if a Malaysian tasted, it would be like, oh my gosh, that's so Malay. And then someone else from Ghana would say, oh my God, that's so Ghanaian. It was just really <laughs> fantastic. Um, and it, those challenges are what, what I, love, I love I love about the catering side of things where kind of I take a back seat and kind of guide people to tell their stories um, through food. Oh man, just saying all of that makes me miss. I feel like I missed the opportunity to have your food while I was in London, but oh. <laughs> but a day a time will come, I'm sure. And then what I discovered recently, maybe you've always had this, but I didn't know, is that you also do you also have a cookery school that you do with your mom. I do, yes, I'm I like, do. Well, first of all, like that's interesting, <laughs> but then working with your mom to do it on Ghanaian food, I think it's like. Very oh, <laughs> it's very it's very polarizing at times. Sometimes I just have to take the seat back, and because I explain why things need to be a certain way, and she's like, 
no, 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 we don't do it that way. You know, we, and then it's like, I can see the students kind of looking at us like, you need to sort yourself out <laughs> where we're going. But it's fun. It just makes it even more fun because it brings, obviously, her, her traditional knowledge and she has context for everything. Mm-hmm. Why? Um, and most of our, our I guess, the, the, the people that we, we end up teaching come away with more than they bargained for, um, often sort of, because we'll be regaling them with stories as to why we do things, why grandma um, there's stories, or why in Ghana we do X, or why or why you don't serve things. I remember someone trying to give us something with the left hand, and it was just all a thing, mm-hmm. the whole education as to why you don't give adults stuff okay. with, uh, with the left hand. So um, it's 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 quite fun and interactive, and I get to um, spend the day with my mom just teaching people. <laughs> <laughs> doing really um lovely things together with others who are interested in food or interested to uh, in, in learning about different cultures yeah so. cool um, and then that's great like it's really been great to hear your journey to date I knew some of the story but it was good to hear you know sort of all of it come full circle and as you think about beyond Black History Month um which is next yeah. month in October how, how do you think about, you know, how you want to evolve what you leave, like the next two years, the next five years? What's what's sort of next for you as you think about what you want to do in the food space? Yeah, I think I'm, I'm slowly finding my niche. I mean, it's been a long time and I don't, obviously, because there are competing demands for my time, I don't necessarily sort of tend to advertise as much as I, I should probably do for the business. Um, and it's been growing organically, but I feel like I'm finding my space my space where I belong which is in telling stories through food and I think my USB or our USB at the moment is just being able to take any story and then kind of reinterpreting that through food um, it's something that I know is going to only evolve so I see Watch and Leaf as sort of um, building on the whole immersive dining experience space you know creating one-off experiences maybe finding a um a spot like maybe a permanent spot at some point where uh, people would come and have experiences created around them around stories or um concepts that they have um, because we definitely have the um i don't know i have the willingness to really try as much as possible as uh, as, as much as i can um to turn anyone's story into sort of a food or a dining experience so I think I'm going to focus a lot more around um, and then just um, doing interesting things on Instagram, maybe just creating more. <laughs> we, we always love to see it. So that, that I'm encouraged to hear. For those of us that are not in London and can't experience it, like experiencing it vicariously through Instagram is, is always uh, it's always a pleasure. Maybe one day I'll do a food tour. <laughs> yeah, I hope so. I hope so. Um as we wind up here, before we transition to Rapid Fire, can you let people know where they can find you online, on social media, if they want to connect with us to learn more about you, your business, um, or if they're based in, in the UK, if they want to um, sign up for a cookery class or, you know, to cater their weddings, what have you? Right. So um, we have a website, uh, which pretty much has all our contacts there and talks about what we do. Um, it's www.watchaleaf.co.uk and um, we are very visible on Instagram. Uh, if you type at Watchaleaf, you find, I don't think there's any other company called Watchaleaf. <laughs> you find us. 
Um, and I mean, my contact details are on uh, our website as well. Okay. So, Great. And I will, yeah, I will, I will tag you and share the link uh, in, the, in the show notes when the, when the episode comes out. So we like to wrap up here with like fun, I think fun, rapid fire <laughs> questions that you don't have to think too much about, like the first instinct answer that pops up for you, um, you can share. So first one is, um, what's the one ingredient you can't live without? Oh, God. What's the thing? <laughs> I know, I think that's bad for you based on everything that you do. Tomatoes, tomatoes. Oh, oh yeah, that makes sense. Tomatoes. Okay. And then would you rather lose your sense of smell or taste? Oh gosh. Taste. Okay. okay. And then who would you rather meet? Your ancestors or future descendants? Oh gosh. You said this was oh, oh <laughs> did I make it sound too easy? You did. Oh my gosh. Uh oh my future descendants. Okay. And then the last one, which was hopefully well, an easy one. What's what's your favorite or best Afrofusion canapé that you've ever made? Repeat the question again. I didn't quite catch your it. favorite Afrofusion canapé that you made that you've ever made. Oh gosh, it's like having to choose your favorite child. <laughs> yeah, it is. Um, does it have to be a canapé? Um, okay, no, I will. You know what? I will. I will take out the canapé piece. Your favorite dish ever that you ever created? It's the it's the dish you reference, the 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 breaking things one. The that oh. was my favorite. It's yeah, it's that was my favorite. So it's the the ember crisp with the um the palm nut. Yeah, sauce. Yeah, cool, awesome. Well, I'm glad I picked your favorite dish Yay. to discuss. Um, it has been such a pleasure like you know I followed your story for years now I'm inspired by what you do and what you're contributing to this food space and I thank you for sharing your time and your energy with with me this afternoon thank you I'm so grateful thanks for having me on here item 13 is powered by Simplecast thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network Food Radio supported by you. Keep in touch at heritageradionetwork.org slash subscribe.